Hello everyone and welcome back to The Real Life Show, the podcast where I, Alice Plunkett, reach into people's unique experiences and explore their lives. Together we will ride a roller coaster of emotions from sadness and fear to joy and admiration as we discuss human challenges such as abuse, addiction and incurable diseases and we'll hear inspirational stories of success. Today, I'm talking to Frank Evans. Frank was born the son of a Salford butcher in Greater Manchester in 1942. When he was 19 years old, he witnessed his first Spanish bullfight. And amazingly, three years later, Frank was in the ring himself facing the bull. Despite Goring's perforations, a knee replacement and a quadruple heart bypass, Frank is still in that ring and still fighting. Let's hear more from him. So the first thing that I want to ask you, if it's okay, um, to get this going, is where you uh, you're from Salford, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I am, where yeah. did you find your first bull in Salford, Frank, that got you into bullfighting? Where well, was the bull in Salford? That's what I want to know. You know there was once uh, another uh, English bullfighter. Um, right. He had a different background to me is he was born in Colombia his mother was Mexican but his dad was was English and he uh, was born in, um, in Bogota I think or, or was it Venezuela anyway he was born in South America and um, when people asked him how did you start what sparked off into becoming a bullfighter he simply said that he went to Spain to learn classical guitar but met a uh, palm reader, a gypsy palm reader, and she said to him, you're going to be a bullfighter. I just wish I could just say something as simple as that, because mine was far more around the houses. So I'll try and skip around the houses quickly for you. I Living thought you were space. going to leave to, to some like amazing revelation. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. No, it's all uh, pretty dense stuff. But at the time, I'm living in Salford, and I'm uh, an aspiring rugby player, as everybody is. And uh, we had a Spanish family came to live in the street very nearby. My dad, being a counsellor, helped me a great deal, um, planning permission and work permits and so on in those days. And my dad had also served in the Second World War and he was stationed in Gibraltar for quite a period. So he had something to do with Spain himself. When there's a war on, Alison, uh, I didn't realise this at the time, but uh, you do get a day off from the fighting. And I don't think there's much fighting going on in Jib anyway. So my dad would get a pass every 10 days or so, and he'd go across the strip into La Línea, Algeciras, you know, the, the towns nearby. And he actually saw the odd bullfight there. He right. saw Manoletti fight and told me about these things as a child with no... Uh, just like your dad would tell you stories about his experience when the when the war was taking place, and uh, I do remember that in the late forties when Manoletti was killed in the bullring, it got some news in the UK because it was a, a sort of a, a very big event in Spain, and we were conscious of that. My dad was aware of who he was, and so on. And, uh, so I suppose what I'm really saying is that little by little, the seeds were sowed. So that when the opportunity came along, I was sort of right to fall for it. And um, 
the way it actually ended is that I went to a wedding. This family invited me to a wedding in Granada. I saw a bullfight there. I enjoyed it very much without ever thinking that I was ever going to do it. And uh, when I came back, we, we, we had another, I had another holiday that year. I uh, went to Ibiza with my playing pals from, say, a rugby club, Freddie Griffiths, Eric Evans, Ken Nelson. We had a great holiday there. And we saw lots of little bullfights there in Ibiza. And when I came back, Freddie gave me a book and he said, this will explain to you all about bullfighting. But what was the ominous. book? Well, there you go. It was called Torero, I think. And it was written by, it was the autobiography of Vincent Charles Hitchcock, who was the first English bullfighter. So, wow, we do this as well. And I just fancied going abroad for a spell, improving the Spanish that I could speak. And uh, went, went to, I'm not sure how serious I would have been expecting to become a bullfighter, really, but... Um, it's one of those things that happens um, in life. If you if you get pricked by the poison, you never get it out of your system. So, what and, would you uh, say, Frank, to anybody who says an Englishman can't be a bullfighter because it's so very Spanish and it's part of it is to do with the way that the Spanish are? I'm not quite sure if I've got the, the words right for this, but you visualise, don't you, a Spanish man um, with his chest pushed out and with all the finery that maybe only the Spanish can wear. I don't know. You correct me if I'm wrong. No, we, I, no, we wear all of the stuff. And one of the things I've got to admit is I, I love dressing on the day of a bullfight. It's very flattering. And um, I love the kit. We've got two sorts of kit that we wear. One is for charity fights where you wear what you might describe as a bolero suit. But the suit of light, it's uh, Traje de Luces, is, the, uh, is the, the suit that you will wear for professional, for real bullfighting. Um, and can an Englishman wear that suit with the same style that a Spanish man? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not so much the actual wearing of the suit and uh, walking about. It's, uh, as a nation, we tend to be more reticent. We're not, uh, if you go into a restaurant, for example, in the UK, you can hear each other talk across the table and we tend to be quiet and it might be the weather, the influence of the weather makes, makes our personalities a bit more, more dampened, if you like. But the Spanish, you, you can't hear yourself speak. They're, they're very loud and they're very, they gesticulate a great deal. And, um, but I've noticed also that some Spaniards I've known who've come to live in the UK, within a year or two, they behave like we do. So I'm thinking <laughs> that, the, uh, that the climate is the big influence. But as far as bullfighting is concerned, I hold my hand up and I would say I'm not as um, demonstrative, if you like, uh, as Spanish bullfighters might be. And it's a defect because at the end of the day, uh, bullfighting is a form of show business some people won't forgive me for saying that but it is an exhibition and um yes, there's a flamboyancy about it isn't there that yes. the spanish seem to naturally have yes that maybe we we don't it's as, as not natural to us. that's right it's not natural you do learn to do some things that uh, when you learn to be as you try to be more flamboyant it's not natural to us, i don't think you have to yeah. trade on the quality of your work really and um, Keep so you still. went to train, you took yourself off to train. Where was that? Well, I wrote to this guy, Hitchcock, 
and uh, oh. met him very briefly. And he said to me, come and join me in Mallorca where I live. Hang on, hang on, let's backtrack. What did you put in your letter? That's that's really interesting that you just decided to write. Well, I, I can't remember what I put all those years ago now, but um, the sort of thing I said to that, I read his book and was very impressed. And I would like to follow in his footsteps. And I, I sent it to the uh, publishers. They forwarded the letter on it. Um, he invited me to come to see him. He lived in Faversham on a farm by then. I'm talking about 1960, 63. No, 64. No, 63. Well, 1963, yeah, definitely, yeah. Because um, he invited me. And when the rugby season finished at the beginning of 64, April, I think it would be. I jumped on a plane and headed for for Mallorca, but I never met him again. So I go out to Mallorca and I couldn't find him anywhere. People who did know him said he's a little bit unreliable and so on and so forth. I got myself a job and had the mickey taken out of me. <laughs> Just some clients. And um, one day, Somebody said to me, so I'm going English, show us a pass. I've not a clue what I must have done because I didn't know how to make a pass, but I always had a go at it. And another fellow in the restaurant then said, oh, wait a minute, who are you to be taking the mickey out of him? What, and he, what, what is a pass? Sorry. Oh, it's what we do uh, with the clock. Who, you know, when The theory of bullfighting, Alison, is that you keep still and you move a cloth away from your body because yeah. the bull charges movement. He's not really aware of people. You could be a, a wooden post for all he knows. It's not quite as simple as that, but if you keep still and move the cloth away from your body, that's where the bull is likely to go. Okay. So they're asking me to do that. <laughs> asking me to show them how I do. And uh, they're laughing and taking them again. And uh, a guy called Eduardo Ford, his name was, ex-matador and he put me on said listen you're wasting your time here in Mallorca because that guy really is far too busy with his own life to be taking an interest in you and there is no bullfighting here as such but I'll give I can see you're um, you're sincere and you're honest in what you want to do so I'll give you a lesson introduction to a guy who's got a school teaching people to be bullfighters in Valencia and the great thing is when you're young and single in that kind of position, I just went and gave me notice in immediately at the restaurant and I caught the ferry that night over to Valencia. Wow. Uh, oh, the letter that uh, Ford gave me um, just had this guy's name on it. Granaret, his name was. And um, I arrived then in the port. I, the, the ferry left at midnight and at 8am in the morning I was standing on the dockside in Valencia. Uh, with no address, but I knew that if I went to the bullring, people there would be likely to know who he was, and that's what happened. Uh, and he had a tailor's shop just round the back, and I give him the letter, and uh, he was a dapper little guy, immaculate. Of course, he was he was a gent tailor, and um, he smoked uh, cigarettes from a sort of a pipe, you know, a, a cigarette holder. Oh and yes. Was, He's extremely gentlemanly. So he took this letter off me, opened it, and read what Ford had said. Give this guy a chance, help him because he wants to be a Torero. So, so. so he folded the letter back and put it in the envelope and gave it me back, which I thought was a bit funny. 
the letter was for him. And he said, right, do you have a family in, in England and a job and so on? I said, oh, yeah. So, and so well, I'm suggesting that you get on the next plane and go back. Um, he said, I've got bullfighters here. And he mentioned uh, Paco Pastor, uh, Jose Puerto, Pepe Luis Diaz. He said, these are all terrific and they can't get fights. It's the most competitive thing that you've ever thought you would like to do that you can imagine. I said, well, thanks for your advice. Uh, I said, but I'm not 1,500 miles not to even try. So uh, I won't waste your time. I said, no, no. He said, I'm not saying I won't help you. He said, come down tomorrow to El Patraish, where they had the, they trained there in Valencia. I keep jumping from one thing to the next. Day, it's okay. You? No, it's okay. It's interesting. Please carry on. Uh, he had his training uh, ground in a cinema. And I've never seen this before in the UK. But there are cinemas in Spain which are open air. And they put, it was a little cheap cinema, I suppose. And uh, they put all the seats in there for the evening show. And then they cleared them all away. And the bullfighters trained in the, uh, in the square where the cars would normally, the people would sit. And uh, I spent the first week there with his bullfighters. And he said to me at the end of the week, he said, listen, I'm not changing my advice to you. I think you should get back to England and go and earn a living. He said, but you have got some, you have movement and ability. So if you want to carry on, I'll be happy to, uh, to carry on with you. And he never charged me a penny and uh, became great friends with him. And um, that's where it all started. So when did you first meet the bull? Because surely they couldn't have thrown you an Englishman with a piece of red cloth in front of a bull? Surely there was more. Well, there are two things I would say to that question, uh, Alison. First of all, um, during that first spell, I was in, I was in Spain for about six months uh, with Gary Goss and his, and his team. And obviously, you wouldn't even offer a fight. You couldn't get a fight as such. Would, yeah, yeah. To be a bullfighter requires you to have a license, for example, and the medical thing and all sorts of And you need your blood uh, group on your license, interestingly, in case you get injured there on the, in, during a bullfight and so on. Uh, but what they do have, uh, Valencia in particular, is street events. Uh, Spain is a land of a million villages, and all of the villages have their own. Um, patron saint when everybody all the, the factories close down all the the shops close and uh, they do things in the street I'm sure you might have seen some of this stuff on TV in the UK but one of the things they do is they in, certainly in those days they would have a bull ring where there would be a serious part uh, because what it wanted really to do was uh, bring in a bull from uh, from the ranches which was quite probably quite small. Sometimes they even put sort of um, covers on its horn so it couldn't really hurt people. But you would have 50 people in this ring uh, with the bull chasing around, catching anybody that they could do. And I took part in one of those. Um, funny thing happened was that I bought a... Here's me. I'm not, I'm not a bullfighter. I'm an aspiring. I'm telling people I want to do it. So I bought myself a cape. And I'm there in this village event where people have got sacks and tablecloths and all sorts of things. And I've got a brand new bullfighter's cape there. Well, this bull comes flying past, uh, misses me and 
takes the bull on its horns and runs off. And all these kids in the village chase after the bull to try and steal the cape. They get the cape and I'm chasing them then. It was more like a, a Bonnet Hill film. <laughs> did you get it back? Oh, I got my cape back, yeah. And Because uh, one of the things I did have was a bit of pace. <laughs> but um, when you say you, you surely didn't, um, they didn't throw you straight in front of them. No, they didn't, but I did have an experience. But when, uh, I'm going to jump forward a little bit for you now. Uh, I've gone back to England. Well, one of the things I realised was that if I wanted to do this, I'd need to be like them, training every day and eating in a way that you should eat and training and not drinking. You, you had to lead the life of a bullfighter, which is dedicated to being in condition and practising over and over and over and over. And I couldn't do that. Give you an example in Valencia. A guy gave me a job. I went and got another job again in a, in a restaurant as a waiter this time. And uh, the training at Garigos's camp was between uh, sort of 12 and 2. So what he said to me, the guy that owned the restaurant, he said, well, I'll, I'm quite happy to go every day and do a bit of training. He said, but I can't have you doing less hours than everybody else and being paid like they're being paid. So he said, what you need to do is come in at eight in the morning and do a couple of hours. So I would go in and work till 10. And at 10, he'd let me go. And I'd go and train for a couple of hours and then come back, work till something like four, five o'clock, go back to the digs that I had, try and get a bit of sleep to go back on duty at seven, and work till midnight. And the, the regime was ridiculous. And um, so I went back to the UK and in the year of 65, I spent the whole year in England saving every penny I could. Right. right. Excuse me one tick because Rappi's coming again. What are you doing here? <laughs> what are you... <laughs> he loves me more than her. <laughs> I'm in that situation here. I've got two sausages and I'm definitely the favourite with one of them and I suspect oh, I might be with the other. But I wouldn't be saying that if my husband was in the house. <laughs> right. What did I got with that one? Oh, I came back to England, didn't I? Because I wanted to go back and I, I, uh, I worked all the hours God sent and uh, saved up money. So that when I went back on the 1st of January, 1966, I didn't have to work. Right. It was pretty cheap. I had digs, for example, in the village there in uh, uh, another going around the houses for you again. When I went back, I stopped off on my way to Valencia in Barcelona. I've been recommended to see a guy who was the founder, president of the Club Taurino of London, a bullfighting club in London. And when I met him, he convinced me to stay in Barcelona and he would be my manager. Nice. So I stayed, you know, the people I mentioned at the beginning who lived in our street in Salford, uh, they had relatives, they'd come from a village in Barcelona and they ended up staying with uh, one of their aunts there. And to give you an idea, in, in 1966, I was paying something like two pounds, 10 shillings a week, full board with her. Um, so I had enough money to be able to not work, is what I'm really saying, what I'm really saying. So here's what happens now. Going back to your original question, they didn't throw you straight in front of a bull. I'm training there with my new mates uh, in a bullfight. You wouldn't really call it a school. People all work out together in bullfighting and some people pretend to be the bull while you make passes and vice versa. 
and it would have been something like maybe May. I'm on the uh, training ground there, and a guy called El Greco, Matador himself, he came, he said, uh, is El Inglés here? So they all pointed at me, and he said... Um, That's very good if they had to point you out and you didn't just stand out as an Englishman. That's very good. I suppose so, right, okay. So uh, uh, he said, if you go down to El Bar Atlantico, which is on the Ramblas in the main street, the marvellous street there with selling... I love Barcelona. Yeah, well, you know it then, you know, uh, the selling from flowers to monkeys and rabbits and so on. And... um, he said he's got a contract for you to fight in France. So I was, he's got a contract for me. I said, yeah, is that is any English, no? So that's me. I mean, yeah. Well, one o'clock there at the Bar Atlantico. Well, I got my kit together and we are training in Montjuic, which is the mountain there at the top end of Plata Espana. And I ran all the way down through the streets to George Eric's house. He's the manager I'm telling you about. And I bang on the door and I said, no, we've got a fight coming up in that. And I always remember him saying, oh, Francis, take your time. Just, and then wait for me there. And he had a wash and put his tie on, mucked and messed about. And I'm desperate to get to see this guy who for me to fight a bull. And we walked from his house then to Bar Atlantico in La Ramblas. And uh, we must have stopped at three bars on the way when I had a glass of wine. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) we meet Paco Carbonero. And he said, oh, yeah, he said, Pierre Pouli, the empresario of the borough there, he's heard about you. And he wants you to fight in the Nobiliada in July. Well, I was quite staggered about them they've heard about me it's that great yeah so we, we signed the contract got a copy each and left well i can't begin to tell you i thought i sent messages back home to england they've got a fight coming up and by the way i apart from that um, benny hill experience in valencia uh, the previous year uh, i'd never been in front of any bulls obviously Ah, right. So you still hadn't been in front of a bull. Well, not not done anything anywhere, Trey, whatever. But anyway, uh, shortly afterwards, got another call now from Guy Carbonari. The empresario is coming to Barcelona on his way from Madrid. He's going back to France and he wants to meet the bullfighters who are on the bell on this day. So I got dressed up, got my tie on, because I'm a bullfighter now. I'm I'm signed a contract now. And... um, the Hotel Oriente on Las Ramblas. And we're all sitting there, half a dozen of us, old kids and a couple of older people. And Pierre Pouli came down the stairs, a stocky little man with a, with a beret. So a lovely person, as it happens. And um, he shook hands with everybody and he said, right, uh, where is El Inglis? And Carol said, this is him here. So I stood up and joined. He said to me, haven't we met before? Not that I'm aware of. And he said, have you been to my house in France? I said, no. And he says to me, he said, this is not the right one. We've got the wrong one here. So we'd seen some other matador, another bull, who'd done very well, apparently, in one of his bull rings, and he wanted to cut it. The contract was for him. 
So they had the chat and they said, listen, how many fights have you had in, in England? I don't know, I don't any fights. And they would not fight bulls in England. So what have you done? You've been to the camp, have you fought cattle on ranches and that? No, no nothing. Well, this is ridiculous then. So um, what we'll do is we'll take you off the bill, we'll change it all, and we'll probably give you something the year after. Well, I'm quite disappointed about this now, and um, I thought, well, I'm sure I can get some experience in before July. And Eric then... The, the and it was May now, was it? So you had eight my, weeks to get some yeah, experience. Yeah. yeah, and I got my manager, George, at it then. He said, Frank, just come with me a minute. And he took me to the other side of the room, and he sat me down and said, listen, I'm going to ask you this question. Are you sure you want to go ahead with this? And I said more sure than anything in my life okay so we go back and they said right okay so we'll we'll team off the road he said no no he's gonna fight on the 26th of july I said no 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 we're gonna take him i said no you're not and i remember eric he just pulled out his jacket he pulled out the contract we got showed it to me said gentlemen we have a legally binding contract here thank you come on francis we'll see you on the 26th and we walked out and left it and the fight went ahead. And uh, I, was, I was just very lucky, I suppose. I was, only, I was just very lucky. So how did that feel then, going in for the first time with the bull? It's that long ago, it's hard to remember all of it, but uh, plenty of apprehension. There was a guy called Diego Francisco from Zaragoza who was on the bill. An older matador who'd been around the around the block a few times. He was great with me. Um, they gave us a meal to eat on the day. <laughs> I got, I could, I'm going to find a bull this afternoon. I couldn't eat anything, and he he had nearly all of the dinner that they'd given me. Don't worry, you'll be fine. And he's banging me on the chest and saying, "Come on, get stuck in. You've not come here. You'll be great." And all the rest of it. Well, I did. I got slung all over the place by the bullet hounds and. Um, the suit that it hired got ripped to pieces, and I was I was more concerned about having to give the suit back to the tailor. But I didn't get seriously injured, and um, one of those strokes of luck in life, I think it's got to be a stroke of luck. I killed the bull with one sword thrust, and uh, so the thing was a triumph, really. And uh, my mate would come to watch me, one of the kids from the school. He'd met two girls in the stand, two German girls who had a taxi down to Barcelona. And then we had a nice weekend with these young ladies that we met. So it was one of those weekends. And uh, the next thing, the press in England got onto it. Right. I did know it was the second fight. Anyway, I'd done well enough. Um, the major, you don't understand the word feria. A feria in Spain is, um, it's when the town is uh, officially on its, um, on its on its holiday period, you know, two or three days of, uh, and and Arl, Arles, the the Spanish pronounce it, but it's a big town in the south. There's a um, a Roman amphitheatre there where they hold right. the bullfights, and it's the it's a, what you call a first class mooring. So he's now put me on the bill, Pierre Pouli, on Easter Sunday, 1967. Wow. So you've got your second one off the back of the, the, the first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. So that's where that's where I really just to give you a, a brief rundown, that's where things sort of started wow. off for me. So do you look the bull in the eye when you're in there or do you, what relationship do you have with the bull? 
the relationship, I don't think you really have a relationship. The, the, the bulls are all different. You know, some people say, oh, I don't like cats. Or I don't like dogs. Or whatever. Which one don't you like? They're all different. And bulls have different personalities. And what I find, if you can talk about any kind of relationship, is that when the bull is, from a bullfighting point of view, very good, and you can make passes with it, and they don't do nasty things, um, you end up really liking the animal. You're feeling very comfortable with it. And then you get other bulls which are suspicious. They don't charge too quickly. They're looking for something other than the cloth. And they will, every, they will sometimes get a hold of you. And uh, you don't feel as happy with, with some of the cattle they have to stand in front of. So can you read them? Is that part of... When, yeah, yeah, well, with experience now, when the gate opens, the bull comes into the ring, uh, you run, you, you have strategically placed a bandoliero and each, there are covers, little boards that you can stand behind, and you have your men standing there, and when the bull comes out, he might turn right or left, but the bandoliero that you have on that bandoliero, he will flash his cape. Really, that's to see if the bull can see, because some of them have eye defects. So the first thing you're looking for is see if the bull can see what's going on. And if the bull is uh, reacts to the to the flashing of the cape, you know it can see. Okay. And what you're looking at now is the way he runs. Uh, a good bull has a nice open gallop. He's really intent on getting that target that's flashed to him. And when he arrives at the bulladero, some bulls will still looking over the top for the man. What you want is the bull that's looking down at your feet underneath, because that's what he's likely to do with the cloth. You're looking for all sorts of, uh, and as, as the bullfight develops, some bulls, you might be right or left-handed. So is the bull right or left-horned. Ah, right. You've got to look for all the, you've got to pick up all these little details in the first period of the bullfight. And as it goes on then, you know, some bulls give up such a performance. They're so brave and tough and never give up that when they are being dragged out of the ring by the horses dead, the crowd applaud the dead bull. For its bravery. Yeah. And do you get on the extreme of that? Do you get a bull that, that won't fight? Well, very now and again, you get a bull that won't fight, which is sort of cowardly, if you like. Regarding being cowardly, it runs it's, it's looking for an opening to try and run away. doesn't want to fight. Um, it's not a good bull to have to fight because sometimes, you know, I'm talking about the movement uh, of the cloth and you want the bull to charge at that and not you. But a bull is, um, is what they call tame. They refer it to it as being manso. Will, will sometimes run towards you and your cloth. But then to avoid the, the, the target, will accidentally run into you because it's trying to avoid what really should be the target. The good bull sees that movement as a threat and wants to wipe it out. And that's the bull that you want to be fighting. Then. So when you were back at that first fight and you were, I presume, the only Englishman in there, how were you received by the Spanish actually doing it? And that's another one. It wasn't in Spain, it was in France. All ah, right. Montpe Montpellier, would it have been? Or... It's just outside Montpellier, yes, in Perol, yeah. Do you know, uh, they, they start having bullfights there this season again. 
Right. And I knew that they had had them in the past. I didn't know whether or not it was yeah. still occurring. Yeah, they've been a sort of, I didn't know this myself, actually, but they've been a gap of about 10 years, but they've resumed again and uh, it's up and running there. Um, so, so was that predominantly then a French audience or was it, yeah, did, it was, did the yeah. Spanish cross to watch? No, 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 it's the, very much a, a, a French audience. And, uh, you know, we have these national things where we hate the French and they hate us and the Spanish and all that. Well, uh, the French dislike the Spanish more than they dislike us. And I've noticed whenever I've fought in France that uh, they treat me very kindly. They, they take my side, if you like, and respond to whatever I'm doing, whereas the, the Spanish won't quite get the... Uh... Well, they may do as it happens, but I, I've, um, I've got a soft, spot, a soft spot for France because I've got friends who are French even where I work, and my chauffeur is French. And um, I, I, that experience that I talk about as a bullfighter, and um, they're a country that have... We are more similar to the French than we are to the Spanish. And uh, their main sport has always been rugby. It's more football these days, of course, in recent years. But traditionally, France is a rugby nation. They play both codes. And uh, I just have a lot in common with them. So they, they warmed to you within the bullfighting yeah, ring as well? Yeah, they always very kindly, yeah. And they invite, they've invited me to, uh, to Paris, for example, and had a nice big... Uh, dinner party for me and stroked me and told me how much they liked me and all that sort of thing. Wow. And then what about your first fight over in Spain? Did you get the same reception or was there a little bit of maybe not hostility but reservations about you, an Englishman in the in the ring? Not that I would have noticed, quite honestly. There, there would be interest. Um, inter I this business of English on the bill, you can't get away from it in Spain. My no name posters is on, defaced then when, no, when it says no. English. <laughs> no, 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 just the opposite, actually. The, the Spanish are quite happy that somebody from England or from any other country which is not theirs would be doing this because they know that um, it's always under threat. They hear that in England, everybody dislikes bullfighting, they find it cruel and so on. So when there's somebody who is actually partaking in the activity, they warm to you to some extent, because they feel as though you're backing their side of things, if you like. So the Spanish have always been fine, yeah. Well, where are that, you going with this one? <laughs> that leads me very nicely on to discuss the controversy that is around bullfighting. But before I do, I want to give the um, interview some evenness, and I want you to tell me about what the bull's done to you. What, have, have, what about your gorings? You must have had some gorings. Yeah, if you're going to play with fire every now and then, you burn your fingers, won't you? So uh, um, if you're performing with wild animals, and at the end of the day, the bull is a wild animal. Um, he almost doesn't see any human being on foot for the whole of his life until he meets the bullfighter in the bull ring. And the way he wises up very quickly is quite astonishing, really. Some people said the bull is daft because he charges at the cloth, but that's his nature. And if you were to take the, if you were to let the bull go to the corrals after you've had a bullfight with him and bring him out the day after, you won't get away with it the second day. He would know, he would know what was going on. Um, 
I'm not sure what, what to say to that question, really, uh, Alison. Have you been, what injuries have you had? Oh, oh injuries, sorry, you, you did personal injuries, yeah. Um, well, I got, I've been injured, I was injured in Mexico in uh, 2003, I think it was, which was like a, a bit of, if you can choose to get injured, you will always choose to get injured if you can't do in a place like Madrid or Seville, where they've got excellent right. facilities right there in the bullring. <laughs> And even if you get your femoral artery split, they've got a chance of... I'm quite astonished, really, or surprised, or I have to think about it. I'm surprised that more bullfighters don't die. We all get caught quite frequently. The better you are at it, the more experienced, the less frequent it is. But every, nobody escapes forever. You know, so what's, what's a normal injury? What what would you expect to come out with on a good there day? Two, there are two, <laughs> there are two uh, common injuries. When we are making passes, we're bringing the cloth and the bull's head past somewhere between your knee and your hip. So that's where you get injured. Usually uh, the bull, instead of staying with the cloth, will turn slightly sideways where you're standing. <clears throat> And it's a bad place to be going because you've got some pretty important arteries. Your femoral artery, for example, is there in your groin. And uh, you can lose all of your blood in within minutes if uh, you don't get quick attention. And people who have died, there are more people who've died with that injury than any other kind of injury. But the other uh, sort of injury is when you're knocked off your feet. You're not actually gored while you're standing. They don't pick you up, but they knock you over. And that is even more dangerous then because the, the bull naturally uh, would knock you over and against the solid floor, they can traverse your body. And uh, a couple of guys have been injured that way in this last few years. Uh, so they're the injuries that are pretty typical. And um, I've had that kind of injury. Uh, the one that I'm talking about in Mexico was... Um, the problem there was that um, it was towards the end of the fight uh, I got caught by the bull in my right thigh. And um, when they got me back on my feet again, uh, they gave me the sword to finish the bullfight, to finish that particular, that particular event, if you like. And um, as I went in with the sword to kill the bull, I killed the bull with one thrust. But in the bottom of my right calf, that you sort of, you, this is where you get your leverage from, you have a tiny muscle there that we don't use too much. We used to climb in trees and we had this little muscle in our arms and, and legs. And it's something in the human body that is not used that, that much. You see footballers coming off with a, with a calf injury. It, they pull that little tiny muscle and you, you hope you almost can't walk with it. Anyway, I'm carted off now to the infirmary in the ballroom there. Everybody thinking that I've got an injury from the goring from being caught. And I'm saying, no, it's still near, I can't walk. So we go back to the hotel because it doesn't look as though it's very important there. But when we, when we took the, uh, the trouser off, I got this huge, um, there was a small hole in the leg, but the, um, anyway, it swelled up massively. And this is where really you would have been better to have got gone in Mexico City or somewhere because I was then driven something like four hours to 
a town where the World Cup was when England were in the World Cup in Mexico, I don't know it was now. So that's one of the dangers there. And uh, but um, but they got me over it. They they the isolating and uh, I didn't get injured. But of all the injuries I've had, uh, Alison, the worst one was the one that made everybody laugh because we were training with uh, animals on a ranch uh, near the Portuguese border in Ciudad Rodrigo, a small town. And um, we fought 25 animals on the day. And on the 25th, I've got a photograph to this day of we were two of us fighting the cattle, by the way, and my pal Vicente Ruiz El Soro is with his father. And his father, after 20, it's a long time, we've been there all day doing this, and it's the last bull, and he's, he's there holding the door, the door where you open and let the bull go out to the field. And he's saying, come on, Fran, let, let, pack it in now, let, let's go. Now. So, yeah, let's make one more pass. And that just takes you, it takes away your concentration. You have to be very focused in what you're doing. Because what had happened here is the bull only went on, it was left-handed. So you would only use left-handed passes. And what I did then without thinking and without concentrating, instead of keeping it on the left horn to finish the pass, I turned it round. And the next thing is, it's got its horn up my arse. And I can't to tell you that that was and being good quite honestly it doesn't hurt I think yeah, I don't know the adrenaline what it is it's not I've never felt real pain if you like when I've been good but the pain from that and it, it the pain didn't dissipate and uh, anyway another drive now in the back of my mate's Mercedes and uh, to the hospital in Salamanca and what was yeah. the damage? Well, the damage really was, I mean, just to to say that when I'm in, when I'm when the injury first occurs, they carry me out to, to the little doctor in the village there. And he said, Oh, yeah, you're fine, yeah. And he stitched me backside. He put about six stitches in the actual buttock itself, because the horn had gone in through the side and then through the anus, if that's what it's called. <laughs> and um to be fine, but when we got back into the uh, into the hotel before I even lay down, um, my stomach was swelling up a little bit, and we didn't like that. So I got a police escort now, two hours drive down the main road to uh, an hospital in Salamanca, and I was so delighted. I was absolutely delighted to see these young doctors with moustaches and nice white coats on. I thought I'm going to be okay now, and he was going to be okay. But you know, just to some of the people that you have in bullfighting are characters, just like rugby teams of football, like people that you know when you go about in groups. And Vicente's father was mad. He was one of those characters in life that's difficult. I'll have to tell you all about him one day. But he's saying, uh, I can take you somewhere where they'll cure that. Because you're English, he said, they're going to take all your money off you. Yeah? And the doctor says, and I'm saying, don't say that. And the doctor said, no, we don't want any money for this. We're going to just... But you're, I have to sign a document to say, do the operation. And uh, old Pedro said, no, don't sign that. We're going to rob you and all the senior passports. So this is all going in in a, in a proper hospital. He's talking <laughs> like that from the doctors. So the next thing is, um, he comes up and says, anyway, do what you like. 
And I, in those, it's not fashionable now, but in those days, everybody wore lots of gold chains. And um, I was the medallion man. All he's taking, he said, and he's saying in front of the doctors, let me take this off you. He said, um, they'll steal all this off you while they're operating on you. <laughs> and it was one of those scenes in the hospital there that um, <laughs> really quite funny, I suppose. And the next thing is I wake up in the ward I've been operated on, and he's lying there in the seat, uh, old Pedro. And I said to somebody, I said to Manolo Montelio, I said, uh, he stayed with me all night. Nobody else has stayed with me. He said, no, that's the same. Money on the hotel, he's done that. It's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got the beginnings of a comedy series here with some of uh, your experiences. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just take you back? When you said that bull was left-handed, how do you know? What, what are you looking for? How soon do you know whether it's left or right-handed? Well, you know right away, really, because when you kick off with the first few passes, you extend the cloth as far away from God as you can do, and you're on the move, and you can see by letting him come past when he goes, which, which way he goes back most, where you find it most easy to get him past. The bull shows you right away. Well, so you pass him to the right, and you'll see what he does then. Then you pass him to the left, and you'll know immediately which one is his preferred right. So he can pass either way whether he's right or left yeah oh he can pass all right yeah it's just that he'll try and he, he won't be as concentrated on the cloth as he might be with the other one mm. lots of the bulls by the way aren't quite clearly left or right-handed they'll charge quite well on both horns right but, but maybe something... one that's a bit more dominant side or yeah it's one that you've got to be when a bull has a preferred horn you've got to spot that quickly because um you might find it up your backside. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> These bulls can have a sense of humour, clearly, can't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So do family support what you do? Going back, uh, my dad always supported everything that I did. You know, um, as a, before I could drive a car, he would take me to training twice a week to the club that I played for sale at the time, play sale rugby club. And um, my father was marvellous in that sense. And he, he, he's, he was one of those people. If I've done okay in life, I've got to say that I was lucky in that my father, he didn't sort of give me anything or leave me anything, but he pointed me in the right direction where to go and um, help me to be successful in lots of things. But I've been lucky to have some success. Um, my mother hated the thought of what I was doing. Uh, my brother, by the way, I had an elder brother who was disabled. And people would say, well, your mother's frightened that she's going to end up with two sons who are disabled. And she's frightened that you'll end up in a wheelchair, which is another common injury for bullfighters. But um, she, once, she once said to me, you are the IRA to bulls. And that was a pretty tough thing to say to somebody, really. So my mother... Uh, never ever got hold of my being a bullfighter ever. And I regret that mostly because she was great, really. Yeah, it's. I, I can imagine it'd be a very difficult thing for a mother to think of you yeah. being in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. And what about yeah. partners and children? And well, yeah, there's another thing. I, I met my wife having already. I was already a bullfighter when I met my wife, and so it was just part of it. And the kids have been brought up in the house of a bullfighter. 
and they've all they all come to Spain. Well, I say they all. I've got two lads. I've got six grandchildren now, and um, there's a slight difference here. Um, both of them have both been. Both my lads are very supportive. They always have been. We all support each other if you like. And Matthew is quite openly. He enjoys bullfighting, and. Uh, they both had a little bit of a go at it uh, with very small animals, sort of thing. Uh, but but Jim, um, he, uh, he he said uh, somebody I think one of the press guys, almost like yourself, Alison, he uh, said to said to one of the lads, "Well, what do you think about your father uh, being a bullfighter?" And Jim's comment then, and he was probably something like six, seven, or eight years old. He said, "It's okay, he said, but I just think it's tight on the bull." So he showed a bit of compassion for the animal, if you like. That was my younger son, Jim. And um, I remember having a bullfight. He's probably more sensitive than Matthew thinking about it because <laughs> I had a bullfight in Castillon. And uh, they both came and they were both on the front row. And they, there were three bulls, uh, three bullfights. And, and the first three bulls were from a different ranch to the three bulls in the second part of the fight. and. Bulls also get a reputation for behaving in a certain manner. And I said that if I do okay with the first one, I'm going to kneel outside the gate with the second because the first bull would be likely to take it. We wouldn't run too quickly to start with, but it would go from less to more as the, as the fight developed. But the second bull would be likely to come out like trying to, like trying to eat everybody, but would go less and less in just the opposite, if you like. So anyway, I did okay with the first ball. I think I got, I got the, the you got a prize of, um, I keep having to jump around with this for you. In the early days, because we're talking about an activity that's got a history of something like 300 years. Yeah. If the bullfighter did well, he would be given the carcass to sell. That would be his way of earning money. Well, when they stopped doing that in the early 1900s, uh, bullfighters started to get paid and you started having stars and so on and um, there was nothing you, you didn't get in you'd just get a lap of honor and salute the crowd and so on but I think it was in 1920 26 or something in the late 20s and 30s they gave they cut an ear off the dead bull and handed it to the matador symbolically as they would have been given the carcass if we were still in that sort of period. Uh, well, that then became, and then you could get two ears if you did really very, very well. And in. Um, sorry, so, how man. many ears do you have? <laughs> Just give me a second. No, the bull's only got two ears, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, how many ears have you been given over the years? Oh, <laughs> loads of ears, loads of them. And, and I've kept the odd one uh, if it's been a significant bullfight. And I've had the heads um, uh, with the taxidermist. I've got two or three heads. Uh, the alternative, Frank, when I became a full matador, the, that bullfight, I've kept those two bulls there. And, um, <coughs> but, you, um, have I got it wrong, Frank, that you could be offered a tail? Or have I misread that? No, you're right there. That, that's what I was just saying. That If you do well, you, you're going to get one ear. If you do very well, you'll get two ears. Now, if you are absolutely sensational you get the two ears and the tail and there was a time when they started doing this sort of thing 
when you'd see a bullfighter going around the ring with a couple of hooves, a tail, and it became ridiculous. <laughs> so then it became restricted. You can't get more than two ears and a tail. That's your maximum trophies. And it's right. enough. Incidentally, the world's number one bullfight is, uh, bull ring is Madrid. And Madrid will never, ever give anybody more than two ears. You can't get right. a tail. They've never given a tail out in history. Well, here you go now. Um, Paloma Linares, Matador from Jaén, from Linares, um, in Madrid in 19, early 70s. Anyway, he was pretty sensational. And the president gave him the tourist and then the tail. He was sat within an hour of, uh, the president was sat on the spot for that. So there's been one tail. Paloma. Wow. Yeah. And have you ever had a tail? Yeah. Yeah, we had tails, yeah. You know, when you when you fight for him, you do have some good days. Good. <laughs> uh, before I move on, I realise that right at the beginning, I wanted to ask you, and I forgot, how do you practice then when you're back in Salford? Because if you remember, my first question was, where do you find your bull? So do you have a bull in Salford that you practice on? No. Um, you know that boxers do shadow boxing. Yes. They also do sparring. Sparring might be, we, we can't do sparring because you've not got anybody you can spar with. Um, no, the nobles in the UK anyway, and um, the animals are all worth a lot of money, so you're not going to be practicing with them. Uh, a fighting animal, whether it be a bull or whatever, has two values. One is the meat that any other bull has what it's worth on the hook. But the fighting bull also has, I don't know, 50 passes. You can make 50 passes with him. And that is worth more than the meat. For example, an average bull in Spain these days is worth something like 5,000 pounds. Whereas the meat is worth maybe, maybe 100 pounds. Wow, that's a big difference. Yeah, massive. So it's the fighting bull is for his... Uh, like, I mean, there are some bulls that are very famous because they're very good to fight with or they're very dangerous to fight with, but they will attract people to want to come and see them. And they're attracting 20,000 a head. I thought the bull was always killed there. Yeah, they are. So but how do they know in advance? It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the strain. You know, they're all sort If you think of dogs, you've got uh, bulldogs, you've got boxers. You've got spaniels, and it's a bit the same in the bull world. They're not all the same. They all look the it's same. It's the pedigree, almost. That's the word, yeah. And right. historically, you know, bulls get reputations for behaving in a certain way, and the top stars fight those top bulls. Well, there are no I, top I'm... stars in Salford, so how did you practice at home? <laughs> no, what I do is I go to a local gym, and I use the aerobic room. And I work out with the cape and the letter. What people don't realise is that the that small red cloth that you use, it's, it's amazing how heavy it is. And there must be some mathematical explanation as to why. If I were to hold it just with, with my finger dangling the cloth, it wouldn't feel very heavy. But as soon as you put a sword underneath it and lift it, it then does become heavy. So you need to work out with the tools of the trade virtually daily just so that you're strong enough and when you're in the ring with a bull the stress that you are under 
means that it gets even heavier. <laughs> right, of course. So you've not made your children dress up as bulls and put false horns on and charge at you no, over the years? No, <laughs> one thing I do have is you, you, uh, you, there's no way you can practice killing a bull. You, no, of you, course. You meet a bull one day and you've got to kill him and that's what you do. So what people do, some people make imitation bulls, actually put horns on them and so on. But lots of us uh, get hold of a shopping trolley, for example, and you uh, install a bale of hay and you put something in front of it, which is where the bull's head would be, and you practice. It, it's almost like practicing making sure. I, I mean, so many times you say, oh, you can't practice penalties as a footballer. It's not the same because of the stress of the crowd watching you, the importance of making sure it goes, all those things. Well, I understand that, but if you practice penalties every day, this is only my opinion, by the way, you're going to have a much better chance of being lucky. Um, in other words, you eliminate an awful lot. And if you practice often enough, you will be able to do it with the bull. And I find I've got a, this bale of hay at the back of my house and I will kill that imitation bull. I'll put 10 swords a day in it just so that when I'm in front of the bull, Got a very good chance of repeating what I do with the with yeah. the shopping trolley, but so there have been practice. Then it's good. Yeah, yeah. And you you've got to practice every day. You've got you, you need to be physically have, have plenty of puff and strength, and it's not quite all, all activities have their own demand on your body, but you have to be fit. And uh, so we <laughs> spoke about how not everyone agrees with bullfighting. Uh, particularly, I, I think, in, in this country. So what opposition have you personally had, first of all? Opposition? Well, when I first started, in that first bullfight in 1966, people then realised there was a bullfighter. And I got letters from people in Scotland. Uh, quite, I was, didn't realise that there were people who didn't like it. It was a shock. Ah, so you've got negative, negative letters from people right. in Scotland. Right, often the, the own, I, I found it comical, really, because some of the stuff that the people write to you and threaten you and all the rest of it, it's, um, it's so bad, it's comical. But what I didn't like was when they sent letters to my mother telling her really? they hoped I would get killed and so on. Yeah, yeah they're, they're pretty nasty people. And then they started coming round to the house. Well, I'm married by now, they're not kids. And, um, believe it or not, I would say to you, I'm an animal lover. I've had dogs. I've got him now, and I've got three cats. I brought one cat back and rescued him from a from a ranch there, uh, Luciano. And um, I just love my interaction with animals. Um, the fact that I fight bulls. <laughs> It, 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 the, the problem of killing bulls at the end of the day we do it so we can eat and uh, vegetarians and vegans might say well we don't need to eat animals but that's an argument apart the, the, the matter is that we do eat I think we kill something just under a million animals a day here in the UK but it's done in the slaughterhouse purportedly humanely and uh, the difference between what, what we kill a bull and a bull ring, it is not humanely killed. And there's the problem. Um, you, and it's not well, visible. 
Well, it, it's not visible in the slaughterhouse. The no, that's I what I mean, yeah. It's not visible yeah. when, when it's for meat. It's People don't think yeah. about the process no. that's gone into that, do yeah. And, and Yeah, and um, I think people would be upset if they were to see a bull being shot in the back of the head or whatever. But the, the, the truth is they're knocked out when that happens. What a lot of people say to me uh, when there is a... I'm talking about Spaniards now who say, but we have... Um, well, somebody said to me here in the UK, when I think about it, uh, the government apparently has to provide food uh, for the, uh, the public sector, which is sort of schools and prisons. Uh, and this is the, it's the responsibility of the government to, to provide food for these institutions and hospitals and so on. And there's a very small minority of people who are uh, either Muslims or they are Jewish, and their religion will prevent, they're not allowed to injure the animal, which is when you shoot the bull in the back of the head, you're actually injuring him. And that's against the religion sort of thing. So uh, the only way that you're allowed to kill uh, is by, by the halal method. And um, some people think that's even more, um, it, it's worse than what we do putting a sword in. But Whatever. Apart from all of that, I I believe it's not it's not humane to kill the wood and so on. I don't think we need to do that because an awful lot of what we're doing in the bull ring is symbolic. It's um, it's David and Goliath, if you like. It's the man in, in massively inferior to the strength of the bull, uh, with with a brain, with intelligence. He's more intelligent than the bull, and but the bull is much more powerful. And by intelligence and skill and bravery you can overcome a much more powerful opposition which is the bull but it's all symbolic uh, because we don't yes. need to go and take them on and so on. it just is it just is symbolically proving that the man is more intelligent than ever, actually more more powerful than, than is the bull in a way uh, but and finally, uh, the, the, the the veterinary scientists will tell you that when the bull is in the ring, just the same as me, the bullfighter in the ring, uh, the adrenaline is pumping around your system because you're in a strange place and you're under threat. I know I'm under threat, and so does the bull. And the brain apparently gives off something that's called endorphins. And endorphins anesthetize you. How often have you heard that a, a soldier was shot in the leg but didn't know until he put his hand there? Uh, I, I can tell you, I was saying earlier, you don't feel the injuries that the bull inflicts on you in a normal in a normal part of your body, if you like, as opposed to when we're talking about the one that I got in Salamanca. Um, so, um, my feeling about all of this is that I can defend that there are three acts in bullfighting. One is the horse act, where the bull charges the horse. It's got a massive padding. It's sheet metal. The horses don't get hurt. Nobody wants the horse to get hurt anyway, and they appear week in and week out. So I think it's fine that the bull has some success, gets a target, and it reduces him slightly from a strength point of view so that you can make the kind of passes that the public want to see uh, that you can't make when the bull is absolutely fresh and, and running almost willy-nilly, if you like. There's a lack of control, but there's more control after the horse act. The second act, all this all goes back into the past when they were simply bringing the bull to be killed. 
banderillas. And I've known lots of people who don't mind the banderillas because it's almost like the fullback trying to tackle the winger. You run across the ball in an arc and place two small sticks. Well, the sticks are about 30 inches long. And on the end, they've got barbs on the end. So you pierce the skin of the ball and you run away sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> I'm not so sure that there's a, there's a great deal of pain involved in that either. But when you come to the third act, which is the kill, well, it's very difficult. You need to have great technique. You have to have the, uh, the courage to do it. Maybe a little bit of luck. But too often, the matador, because he's lacking in skill or he's frightened and he can't get near enough, fails to put the sword in with one thrust or two or three. And I saw on TV uh, this last year a matador who shall be nameless. He'd attempted to kill the bull something like seven or eight times, I think it was. So the bull is pretty badly injured now. You've struck the bull with the sword. You've not gone in and killed him, but you've made huge flesh wounds. And in bullfighting, once you fail with the sword three or four times, and he's, he's in, a, in a much weakened state, you take out the coup de grace. It's, it's a, called a descabello. It's a store, small sort of dagger on a short sword. And what you do is get the ball to lower his head and you break the first or second vertebrae. And that kills him outright. But again, talking about this particular event, this guy who missed seven or eight times with the sword, he now missed seven or eight, nine times with that. So that is dreadful abuse. And I say to people when I'm watching, that's it, is, is this it? How should we do this? Because a lot of people in Spain will argue against me. I go around saying, wherever I can, I say it to the hierarchy. I mix with the elite there as it happens. And um, I say to them, if we don't stop, do it, forget, there's always called urine as well, forget whether, it, whether it's me not liking the particular activity. But if we don't stop killing the bull with a sword in the ring, it will all be abolished. The people who are against bullfights and the anti-taurinos, as they're called, they don't want to change the kill or the horse or the barriers. They want abolition. Don't breed the bulls. Don't have the schools. No bull rings. Make them all into orchestral events and get rid of it all. So why don't we take notice of that? It's the 20, we're in 2023 now. And we can't, I don't think it's acceptable that you do today what was acceptable a hundred years ago and the bullfights hardly changed and they don't yeah, but it's like there's, at all. there's so many activities that we would have pursued a century ago that, that would be barbaric yeah. now and we wouldn't do so yeah, yeah I, I agree with you why can the bullfighting not change do you think that Quite that change is ever yeah. likely to come about um i i i really can't i can't see any headway at the minute there's been recently some um, bullfighting people actually in the north of Spain who are going through a trial and they've reduced the, on the end of the barb that the picador uses to injure the bull's shoulder. That's been reduced to something that's very, very tiny. The banderillas have taken the harpoon off so they don't stay in the bull. And I don't know what they're going to do about the kill. 
you've got to stop killing the bull. There are no protests about banning bullfighting in Portugal, for example. Because they don't kill the bull there. Ah, do they not? So, so, you can, so it does work then to not kill the bull? There is still a following oh, of the bullfights, even yeah. when the bull... Yeah, Portuguese do lots of different things. It's not the same bullfight as Spain, but they don't kill it in the ring. It gets killed in the slaughterhouse outside. Can I just mention a quick thing here? I'm very long. I've just, I've just been warned I've only got 15% battery left. Right, okay. Well, that's fine, because I was realising I was taking up a lot of your time, and I was going to ask you to finish off um what is it that keeps you going what when you've been injured when your family's had threats uh when you've been threatened what drives you to get back in in that ring quite honestly Alison, i don't know what else to do in life really i i can still do it i'm old now statistically and uh well i'm, I'm the oldest professional practitioner today um, and I'll stop when I feel frightened or when something happens, I don't know. You know, they say a boxer, the first thing he loses is his punch and uh, a rugby player, the first thing he loses is his speed and so on. The first thing you lose in this when it's time to get out is your bottle. And I don't feel uncomfortable when I'm in the ring at the minute and I'm very fit. I train almost every day. And um, I've got to be 81 this year. But um, I've never let go of the rope. I've never stopped training every day. And I think I know lots of people like me and my kind of age group. We're like yesterday's 55-year-old, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So what's next, Frank? Well, I'm negotiating right now. Um, here's another interesting thing. Because of the economy, not because of, uh, because of doing the thing right or cruelty and so on, on the ranches, they test the cattle in small bull rings, but they don't kill it. There's no band of eaters, there's no killing of it. And they started doing that in public with the bull. I fought in one of them. So you go through the bullfight, but at the end, you don't kill it. The money goes to charity. The only thing is that's not the real bullfight. This is these are charitable events. This is a different kind of thing. But they've started. So I've taken part in one of those this year. I've been offered two more. And I'm negotiating for a full corrida, maybe July. That's with four or five-year-olds where my friends all have their willies. <laughs> and I say to them, listen, don't worry about me. Oh, that is son of a bitch buzzer, I'm going to wipe me out. And I do feel like <laughs> I've stand there before we start to think, I'm stronger than this bull and I'm going to... God forbid I ever turn up in the ring, not in great condition because... I do get myself into tip-top condition. Yeah, I can tell that you work on it and that you take it all very, very seriously. It's a passion, isn't it? It's, it's... Yeah, and that's what I'm lucky. I mean, some people think, oh, I've got to train tomorrow. Oh, yes. I love the training. There's nothing about it that I don't like other than I don't like killing bull. With a so you'll keep point. going until, excuse the pun, but until you're not paper bull. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'm just going to fade away. I did retire in 2-5 because I needed an operation. And the doctors have said, you won't be able to carry on when we've, uh, when we've uh, put me a new knee and so on. But I found out within days that I could. So like people do, I retired and then reappeared again. Um, oh, right. So I'm never going to retire again officially. If I, if I do retire, you won't know. You'll just think, oh, what happened to him? 
Yeah. Well, they want me to, they're bullfighting Solver, didn't they? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I wonder what's happened to him because I'll just Rel fade away like, like the old soldier. <laughs> no, you'll certainly have left a great legacy behind. And I know I've, I've read some of the other interviews and, and part of the book, and I think it's amazing what, what you've achieved. Definitely. Well, you're very kind. Thanks. It's been absolutely, it's been so interesting, honestly. It's it's a fascinating subject. Whether you agree with bullfighting or you don't agree with bullfighting, it's a fascinating subject. And I'm really um, intrigued with what you say about amending it and bringing it up to date, really, so that you've got some sort of art, but without killing the bull at the end. And, and yeah. I, I hope that the people who can will listen to you about that and, and take it seriously, because otherwise it is going to become... A lost art, isn't it? It's going to get knocked on the head. It's already suffering yeah. now. All the bull rings on the Costa del Sol, for example, are closed. Yeah. They've managed to get them to stop doing it there. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that you said it started again in south of France because I know it stops there because of protests from the younger generation, didn't it? Yeah, but it's, it, it's, it's caught fire. It? South of mm. France, is like, it's, they've got it right there for some reason, but they do kill the bull. Yeah, uh, it's got some. It's got a bit of a uh, bit more distance to go this year. Yeah. <laughs>